mercies in disguise. That's what Paul had to view his restrictive circumstances. And it's these mercies we're now going to be looking at and relating to our own personal circumstances as we turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 1, and we're considering verse, well, verse 12, the second part of it, on through, excuse me, verse 18, the second part of it, down through verse 26. And here Paul is he's writing from his own imprisonment, where he has his own restrictive circumstances, where people would look at him and say, you, you look like a man who has no freedom is going to be able to articulate a form of freedom that people would only, if they only knew, what it truly entailed, would embrace it with their entire heart and being. But the second part of verse 18 says, Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that from now now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will be mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. What's more necessary for you that I remain in the body? Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will, will overflow on account of me. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Some, somebody here right now needs to be able to spot the mercies in disguise. Somebody right now has got to be able to embrace the fact that there may be mercy in that trial that he or she is going through. A trial that perhaps just a few years ago he or she would have never, ever thought would even exist. As we are opening up your word, we want to spot mercy in disguise. We want to embrace grace in the midst of trial. We want to be able to apply truth to life. You know our needs. You see what we struggle with during the day and what we carry in our hearts at night. And you know the tears on the pillows that nobody sees. You know when the smile is real and when it's forced. And you love us for both. You sent your son Jesus to die for our sins and we're saved by putting our faith in him alone. 
So now, Father, with this in mind, as we open up your word, we open up our hearts and pray in the moments to come that as we reflect on your word, we do so because we've come here to see Jesus, him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Her circumstances were restricted when Corey Tenboom, who was being held in captivity in Ravensbrück as a, during the Second World War, penned these thoughts from her cell, number 384, on April 11th, 1944. Thanks so much for the parcel. It was perfect. All those colors, I'm, I'm using the threads of the bath towel to embroider everything. Oh, and I'm fine. Have severe pleurisy, but have improved much, except I still am coughing. I've miraculously adjusted to this life of loneliness, but I am in communion with my Lord. I speak often with my Savior. I'm obtaining a deeper insight into time and eternity and am being prepared for both life and death. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But life with him here on earth is also attractive. How I am longing for more proactive ministry. Written from a prison cell. Part of her prison letters. Paul is writing to the Philippians, and it's one of his prison letters. He had longed to be able to minister in Rome, and now he finds himself in Rome, but he's, he's in chains. And the question is, will he allow for his restrictive circumstances to hinder his purpose for living? Or will he utilize his restrictive circumstances as an opportunity for bringing true life to those who so desperately need it. Restrictive circumstances are mercies in disguise. Personal trials are mercies in disguise. And through it all, despite whatever it is that you are facing today, what we want to do with God's word open to us and our hearts open to him are simply to draw out three major means by which God wants to advance the gospel through you to others, using you despite whatever restrictive circumstances you may or may not find yourself in at this very moment. And this first is found in the second part of verse 18 down through verse 20. And with your Bible wide open, let me draw it out for us, that number one, the gospel can advance through the spiritual support that we receive. When you're facing trials of life and you're looking for mercies and everything seems so disguised, yet here you find Paul in the midst of these incredibly difficult moments saying in the second part of verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He doesn't say yes and I'm going to find a way to stop rejoicing. No, he's saying, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. There seems to be a flow from God through his heart to others. 
And likewise, no matter what you're facing right now in your finances, in your marriage, in your loneliness, in your singleness, in your health, or in the struggles that you did not even anticipate, here is a man who likewise had to confront the extremes of life. And he's saying, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And then he moves on from there. And you know what he's about to do for, the two, for all of us? He's about to draw out two major resources that are available to you and are available to me. Spiritual support to be able to guide us as we advance the gospel, no matter what our circumstances might be. The first resource is the support of prayer. We see it in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So now you want to underline your prayers. There's your first resource. So what that means then is that you and I have got to find ways to be able to utilize significant quality invested moments of prayer for the furtherance, the advance of the gospel. Now how do we do that at the local level? Well, let's say we've got our church directory. It's over a thousand names plus in it. So what we do now is we begin to open it up and we, and we begin to work through the names of fathers and mothers and children, single moms, single dads, students. And then there's a back area for others, such as missionaries or those that are in convalescent-type settings. And, and you are bringing them before your God in prayer, you see. What you're doing now is you're personalizing and you are taking that name, linking it to your Lord, and then asking God to work through whatever restrictive circumstances he or she may find himself, herself in right now for what? The advance of the gospel. Never underestimate the value of prayer because it says something significant about the value of your future. Diminish the value of prayer in the present, and you will diminish the value of the future that's awaiting you. Recognize the significance of the connection between you and God and the connection between prayer now and prayer as it relates to the tomorrows of your life. And embrace what Paul is willing to do in the midst of his restrictive circumstances. I will continue to rejoice because I know And here's one reason why I can continue to rejoice. It's your prayers. People know you're praying for them. You sent them a card, going on social media, saying, just been uplifting you in prayer. Here's your second resource. It goes on to say in that same verse, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that there's a connection between prayer and the Spirit of Jesus Christ in the way in which he works? A convergence as you are lifting up prayer to God and the Holy Spirit is working from God through to you. And you're going to want to circle another word there because it's a medical term, the word help found in verse 19. It is used to describe the ligament within the body, the connective tissue. 
A very similar word which was used in Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 16 where Paul had written, likewise from his imprisonment in Rome, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So now what you've done is you are personalized prayer and you have sought the workings of the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of convergence no matter what the restrictive circumstances are that you're in. And now you find this supporting ligament that's got you attached to other members of the body of Jesus Christ, present and far away, that helps you to see beyond your own current circumstances and the restrictive issues that you're facing at this particular moment. And you realize that it's all for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever pondered how the ligament element of prayer connected to the Holy Spirit provides direction for your life? David Howard did. In his book, The Power of the Holy Spirit, he recalls a situation in Colombia where he writes, Some years ago, my colleague, Ernest Fowler, and I determined to visit an Indian tribe in Colombia where we had reason to believe the gospel had not yet gone. We laid our plans carefully for our trip, packed our knapsacks, had our hammocks and other equipment in good order, maps and river and surrounding jungle area where these Indians lived, Travel plans were checked out, but on the morning of departure, when I rose early from my accustomed quiet time in prayer with the Lord, for some strange reason, I became obsessed with an overwhelming sense of restraint about the trip. I could not pray with freedom. I opened the word, but nothing seemed to fit. For nearly an hour, I struggled with this problem, wondering what God was trying to say to me, and all I could sense was an intangible feeling that we should not go. So I went to Ernest, who had spent that night in our home so that we could leave early in the morning, and I asked him how he felt about the trip, and he had not experienced the same sense of restraint that came to bear down upon me. But when I explained what I was going through, he said, well, let's pray about this together and see what God says. After breakfast and some further discussion and prayer, Ernest said with a quiet, settled conviction, I don't think we should go. God's placed this restraint in your heart. Whatever may be the reason, I don't think we should violate it. We won't go. God ever restricted you? There's a reason for restriction. Three years later, he and I received an invitation from two Indian brothers of that tribe to spend a week with, the, with them to tr- teach them the scriptures. They had become Christians through the witness of Colombian believers, but they needed instruction in the word. They were our point of contact to enter this tribe with the word of God. Three years earlier, When we had planned our trip, these two men were not yet Christians, nor was anyone else in the tribe. We would have had no bridge, no entering wedge, no one conversant in their language to communicate truth to them. Now, 
I understand the reason why I was so restricted. Messies in disguise. Paul had dreamed of being in Rome to be able to advance the gospel. When he finally gets to Rome, he's in chains. But it was those chains that allowed him to advance the gospel. Could be your health. Could be your family. Could be your job. But you got some mercies in disguise just waiting to be spotted. They're all tied to the restrictive circumstances that you may be facing right now, but if you are facing them right now, remember, so did Paul. And Paul did not view these as circumstances working against him. He saw these as opportunities working for him. Do you? So here he is, and he wants us to be able to embrace what he's embraced. I know that through your prayers and the help, the ligaments of life, the ligaments of the body of Christ, given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's talking about if it's not going to happen through Nero, the emperor, then ultimately it's going to happen before God where I'll be vindicated. So in verse 20, you know what he does? He moves from medical terminology to athletic terminology. Love this man. And so as he does so now, he's got an athletic metaphor for you and me to embrace. It's the word expectant. This is the word picture of an athlete at the start of the race who's already pondering what it's going to take to get to the end of the race. And rather having his body in a relaxed state, this man has got his body in a taut position, ready to take off at the sound of the gun. And he's going to be moving fast and furious as he moves forward. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He is eagerly expecting, not just simply passively existing, Which is it for you? Here's a man who is restricted, confined, experiencing something that he never thought he'd have to experience in a setting where he had always dreamed of being. But rather than allowing that to be an obstacle, it becomes an opportunity. And now he's saying, no, it's not a situation here of me merely existing. It's me fully fully expecting and hoping that I will in no way be ashamed, which is the same word which was used by Paul when he has spoken to the Romans in in a prior time, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And here we have it now, but we'll have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. Circle that word exalted. Did you? It's from the Greek word where we get magnification. Several years back, Pam and I and Benjamin, he had taken his telescope out and we'd set it on 
just in front of the house because there was something happening in the skies on that particular night. It's cold night, and as we stood out there, we had the telescope obviously oriented to where, where this event was occurring. As I stood by the telescope, I began to think about what is being written here. Every time the word magnification is used in Scripture to describe our relationship to God. You and I become telescopic with our lives in relationship to Jesus Christ. How? Where despite your restrictive circumstances with, with your life as a telescopic means of impact, You are taking that one who, in the eyes of others around you, seems so distant, Jesus, so distant. And you're bringing him to you, even through the hardships you're facing. And you're showing that one who perhaps doesn't get it when it comes to what God is all about and views Jesus Christ as so small. And what you allow is that through your own circumstances, you are magnifying Jesus Christ. And not only are you bringing that one who is so distant to him or her near, you are bringing that Jesus who is so small in their eyes and making him large, dynamic, powerful. Because you are embracing the gospel of death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus Christ. And even when the trials seem so great, you got some mercies in disguise, just waiting to be discovered. Just waiting to be discovered. like a little boy in the wilderness, and the disciples look at him, and he's got such, so little to offer. And then Jesus comes along and keeps replenishing and replenishing and replenishing. Something so small got magnified. Like Jesus at the wedding in Cana, where it seemed as though the wine had simply run out, He steps in and keeps replenishing and replenishing and replenishing. What do those two scenes have in common? Both were extreme moments. Both offered such little in terms of natural resource. But each scene had Jesus. Question. Does the scene of your life have Jesus? Have you become telescopic with Jesus? See, the gospel can advance through the spiritual support we receive. You're a ligament. In this body of believers and all these services, we're, we, we're to be connected. Support of prayers and support of the Spirit, we get telescopic with who Christ is and how Christ works. When we do, we're ready for the second means of gospel advancement because it's this number two, that the gospel can advance 
through the ultimate issues that we face. The Gospel can advance through the ultimate issues that you and I face. And now we're about to get an ultimate. And we've got issues plural here in verse 21. We've got to think it through. Here is your biblical formula for living. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So why don't we put a formula up on the screen and eliminate the word Christ temporarily and the word gain temporarily. And notice here what we've got. And ask ourselves some questions. What happens when I substitute for Christ? What if I say, for to me to live is marriage? Well, then to die is loss. What if for to me to live is my favorite politician? Then to die is loss. What if for me to live is family? Then to die is loss. What if for to me to live is higher income? To die is loss. What if for to me to live is retirement? Secure. To die is loss. What if for me to live is in a bigger setting or in a different setting? To die is loss. What I've intentionally done now is to bring out values. Good values. Passions that so many of us have. What's the passion of your life? If you have placed a passion or a value in that first line other than Jesus Christ, you have just entered a loss into the second line of your life. Furthermore, if we displace Christ and move him from line one to line two, and for us to simply say, for me to live is good works and to die is Christ, then what we've done is confused our theology. Because we don't get Christ as a result of our good works. Only Christ belongs in the first line of your life. And the moment we substitute for him or displace him from that line, we end up with eternal loss. Have you embraced the formula for everyday living and mastered it practically in the way in which it's meant to shape your life? I will guarantee that if you put Christ in the first line, all the other values of your life are going to experience some unique blessings that you otherwise would have never thought of. You've chosen not to substitute. You've chosen not to displace. Dr. Andrew Chong didn't. Beloved surgeon at the College Church of Wheaton, He's taken to Northwestern Hospital in Chicago to have a stint cleared, a blockage. The procedure was invasive. After some time, his surgeon came out and indicated that he was not going to go on because there was too much bleeding and said, you better get your family here. He may not make it through the night. So all the children were rushed to Dr. Chung's side where they gathered and they were weeping. They were saying goodbyes and... Dr. Chung, who was an elder at College Church of Wheaton, had just come out of the anesthetic, was in intense pain, was not able at that moment to speak. But seeing his family's distress, he made a, a curious motion with his finger, and they finally understood that he was requesting a pen. 
Of late he'd been unable to write in a straight line, but now very slowly, with intense deliberation, he wrote 12 words in a vertical column. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Slowly, the precise movements of a surgeon, and then he spoke finally, Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Keep your formula. Don't switch lines. Keep Christ first and magnify. Be telescopic. And all of a sudden, you're going to spot mercies in disguise. For if I am to go on living, Paul wrote in verse 22, in the body, this is going to mean fruitful labor for me. Two major issues that are being confronted here. You spotted them, didn't you? One, the issue of life. He's saying here, that's an issue for me. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He's not saying I'm going to merely exist. I'm going to be fruitful in my efforts. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Here comes his second value, the issue of death. How will he work this out? I'm torn, he said, between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by better by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain in the body. Do you see that word torn in verse 23? Sure you do. Circle it. It's another word picture, this time, of a man or a woman who is traveling in the Middle East. And they are making their way through mountainous terrain. The path is narrow, so narrow that they have to restrict their body, pull in their arms to be able to walk through this narrow passageway, unable even to move to the right or to the left. So restricted their circumstances at this point, This is what Paul is saying here. Now, I'm torn. I'm confined. I'm restricted. If I'm to go on living, this is going to be fruitful labor despite the restrictions. Yet what am I going to do? I don't know. I'm restricted. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Now, the word depart there is the picture of a ship about being ready to set off, be set off for sea. It's not meant to stay in the harbor, you know. Neither are we. But he sighs, I'm sure, in verse 24 when he goes on to say, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Emailing an individual in the past days with children, and this particular individual has a short life expectancy. And we're in conversation, and as we talk, the individual says, but I see significance and value in remaining here as much as I want to go to be with the Lord because at this point, my children still need me. I understand. I understand. The gospel can advance through the ultimate issues that we face. 
So my friend has got to get the, get the formula right. And this friend has, for to me, to live is Christ, not self. And then to die is gain. And so now the family and the extended friends and family are going to be able to say, the formula's there, even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. You see, this friend has worked out the issue of life as it relates to the issue of death. Have you? Once you've done that, you're ready then for this third and final means that the gospel thoroughly can advance through the purposeful ministry we provide in verses 25 and 26. For he goes on to say now, convinced of this, absolutely convinced of this, I know that I will remain. In other words, God hasn't revealed otherwise to him. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So there then is our third means. Let's jot it down. The gospel can advance through the purposeful ministry that we provide. And if you've got purposeful ministry, it's because you've got a purposeful life, because you've got a purposeful Savior who died for your sins. And a purposeful life sets out biblical objectives. And now, Paul's got two of them for you and for me to embrace. The first objective, progress in the faith. Progress in the faith. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress. In other words, what you want to do in your own restrictive circumstances is to cause people to keep moving forward, moving forward, and moving closer, moving closer to Jesus Christ. The very same word which was used as we spotted last week in verse 12, prokope, the Greek word, which had to do with a military advancement, moving from where they are to where they need to be, gaining lost ground. And now what you're doing through your own challenging circumstances is that God is using you to be able to gain lost ground so that somebody who desperately needs to see Jesus is going to see Jesus through whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now because you've got telescopic on, on that person. And Jesus just got magnified, you see. And they know you're deriving purpose from your Savior. And when you're able to embrace this objective, then you're ready for the other one that comes under purposeful living, purposeful ministry. It's joy in the faith. For your progress and joy, he wrote, in the faith. In other words, you're not driven by your outward circumstances. You're driven by your inward Savior. Corey Ten Boom was. Have severe pleurisy, but have improved much, except I'm still coughing, she wrote from Ravensbrück, in confinement under the Nazi regime. I have miraculously adjusted to this lonely life, but I am in communion nonetheless with God. I speak often with my Savior. I'm obtaining a deeper insight into both time and eternity and am being prepared for both life and death. Ah, To depart and be with Christ is far better. But life with him here on earth, even in Ravensbrook, is also attractive. However, I'm longing 
for even more proactive ministry. Take your restrictive circumstances. Use them for God's glory. Their mercies in disguise. Stand together. Thanking you now for each and every one and each and every service. For the one who came today spiritually curious and wondering if the Bible is even relevant. The rubber has met the road through the experience of Paul articulated by the working of the Holy Spirit in him through his life. Lead that person to the Savior who died for Paul and died for us, Jesus. May they be part of the gospel advancement team that firmly articulate the death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus Christ over life. Father, for all of us now, I pray that we look at whatever situation we find ourselves in as means, not ends. Means for advancement. For your glory. Thank you for mercies in disguise. In Jesus' name.